Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you clean up your mind and live your happiest and healthiest life. In this episode, I interview my good friend, New York Times bestselling author, neurosurgical ICU trauma nurse, and vice president of Amen Clinics, Tana Amen, on her incredible story of overcoming abuse, her battles with cancer, depression, and an eating disorder. We also discuss how to find the courage to face your past so you can embrace healing, how to heal your brain, and how to help others who are healing from trauma. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can pre-order my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, now wherever you get books, like Amazon, Target, etc. The book will be out March 2nd, but if you pre-order now, you will get access to some amazing bonus content like a workbook, bonus chapters, access to an exclusive book club with me, and more. Just go to cleaningupyourmentalmess.com for more details and to order. The link will also be in the show notes. And now, on to today's episode. Tana, I'm so excited to interview you about your beautiful new book that you've just released, The Relentless Courage of a Scared Child. Here it is, beautiful book, such an incredible story, and you're an incredible person. You, you know, you've been through so much and you have such a so much courage and just very thrilled that you can help people with your story. And thank you for coming on my podcast to share your story today. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. It's just it's wonderful and I, I appreciate your time. Oh, no, it's wonderful to share with you. Well, before we begin, can you just tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, you know, why you wrote this book and just tell them who you are? Yes. Well, I mean, most people probably know me because of my husband, Dr. Daniel. Amen. Yes. So I'm, yes. I'm Daniel's wife. He's my yes. husband. I'm also vice president of Amen Clinics. So we have psychiatric clinics around the country. We have one in near you. I know. So excited. It's wonderful. So we've got a new one out there. And I'm also um, a writer, obviously a speaker, an author, and a wife and a mother. And that's my favorite role. And I practice martial arts. And there's just so many things that I stay busy with. Oh, that's incredible. That's quite a portfolio that you have there from businesswoman to mother to... But you've also got a very huge story, which is why you wrote the book. So can you... The book is called Relentless Courage of a Scared Child. And you have some incredibly enticing titles in your book. You know, things like God Picked the Wrong Person, Murder Psychics and Saved by a Dog, A Girl's Best Friend, From a Sexy Beat, Bitch to Scary Bitch. I mean, that's just like you've got some really catchy titles. I love it. So this is a very interesting, incredible story. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote it and what motivated you? You know, it's interesting. When I met my husband 15 years ago now, he'd asked me questions about my past. And when I would start to open up to him little things about my past, 
He's like, wow. And when a psychiatrist says that, you yeah. need to. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you must just alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, why is he saying that? Because I think when you grow up with chaos and trauma, you don't always, you're not always aware of, of I mean, you sort of are, yeah. but it just becomes your norm, right? Yeah. It's, just, it's what you deal with. And so, yeah. you know, I don't know that you know that you're dealing with a lot. You just kind of like, it's, it's what you do. It's all you know. And, it's all you know. You don't know any yeah. different. And so, and I remember the first time he said that, I'm like, what is he talking about? I mean, it wasn't any different than what a lot of people deal with. I remember yeah. thinking that. And he would say, no, that's pretty significant. And, and, I, and I just, I remember thinking, well, it wasn't that bad because like I wasn't, I wasn't abused like some people are abused. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, and I remember having those thoughts, but I, I later learned that that's sort of a sign of resilient people is that they tend mm-hmm. to minimize what they've been through in order to get through it. And so it's how they survive. It's like, well, yeah. it could have been worse. And so you, no matter wow. how bad it was, it's like it could have been worse. That's quite an amazing statement. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but you said something that's very powerful. You tend to minimize it to cope. So that's sort of how you become resilient. You minimize it to cope and that increased your resilience to get through it. Yeah, very, it doesn't mean I actually dealt with it. It doesn't mean I actually healed from it. It just means I was like, I sort of... It's almost a denial, like it's a yeah. coping mechanism. You just said it. It's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. But the more that he would learn, he's like, that's a lot of stuff to unpack. And I'm like, really? It just seems like my life. It didn't, it's just <laughs> normal to me, you know? Wow. And then I kind of joked around and I'm like, well, just sort of garden variety dysfunctional. It's like, you know, isn't that aren't a lot of families like that? Yeah. And, and he would look at me and he's like, no. He's like, you know, maybe you should like, either get some help for this, you know, you should tell people your story. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. I'm not telling people my story. (laughs) And it took me a while to really tell him a lot of things about my past because I had really learned to build this wall, this facade. Mm -hmm. And that was another defense mechanism was like, put the makeup on, put, you know, do the hair, put the clothes on. Don't let anyone see through it because Mm -hmm. that's how I coped. It's like, if I look the part and I just don't let people see through the veneer, then you know, fake it till you make it. And so I, yeah, I didn't really like want to talk about the details of how I really felt broken inside. So I would talk Mm -hmm. about the surface part of it, but not really the deep part of it. Mm. It's it's hard. It's hard to do that. It is because you feel very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what happened next? I think through just when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And over time, I began to feel like it was time I finally got help for myself. I didn't want my daughter to grow up in the same environment I had grown up mm-hmm. in. And with Daniel's nudging and just sort of feeling like I was, you know, it was time to, to heal some of those, those wounds from my past. And I finally realized, you know, I really do want to get help for this because I don't want my daughter growing up in the same environment I grew up on. I didn't want to continue that generational trauma, if you will. Mm, I mean, I was so suffering good. silently. Yeah, I had suffered silently with an eating disorder that I never told anybody about for years. Wow. And so, and I just, no one guessed. It's like, okay, just, just keep this facade up. And wow. so over time, I finally, I finally decided it was time to get some help. And then after I did that and I felt pretty good about myself, I'm like, okay, I, I feel stronger. I feel healthier. Yeah. It finally, I mean, it was a big journey to get to that place. Cause when you have a lot of brokenness in your life for, as a child, when you go up with trauma and chaos, you know, in your youth, it takes a while to feel like you're whole again. That's a word that I used to think was silly. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Right. You wow. feel whole again. I finally felt healed if you will. Mm. And so it's not like I was cured, but yes. I, felt, I felt healed. And wow. so I remember thinking, but that doesn't mean I need to tell people. And so just because mm. I feel 
whole doesn't mean I need to share it. And then, you know, again, I'm married to a psychiatrist and he kept pushing. <laughs> so I'm like, he kept, if you don't want to make changes in your life, don't marry a psychiatrist. Oh gosh. Well, he, 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 he was seeing all the holes behind everything. He made me laugh too. And I've got to just say this to, to say this to you. He was telling us how, telling me the one time how he actually scanned your brain before he married you to check your brain out. And he said, your brain was so great. He said, no, that's fine. He can marry you. I thought, wow. Only, only he could say something like that. So that was very funny. But I have to tell you, it was like one of the best lines ever. Cause he's like, he's like, Two weeks into dating him, he's like, he tells me he wants to see my naked brain. I'm like, okay, you get points for best line ever. Come yeah, on. that's best line ever. Naked brain, really? <laughs> oh gosh, that's hilarious. But he, you know, he kept telling me, you know, there's power in your story. This could help a lot yeah. of people. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, why is my story going to help anybody? But as I slowly started to open little bits up, not really the deep stuff, but just little bits. Yeah. Women started coming forward and saying, wow, you know, if you can do it, I can do it. And I started to realize maybe it is time. And so when my daughter was finally old enough for me to, to have some of these talks with her, she was my motivation because I thought it's her generation mm. that's struggling. It's, it's yeah. at age that I really began to struggle, like with an eating disorder and the anxiety. And I wanted to share that. So if I could prevent one person or if I could just share something with one person that helped them get help, then it would be worth it. Oh, gosh, that's incredible. It's the start of a new year and everyone you know is posting about their new diet or cleanse on social media. There's so much conflicting information, it can be hard to know what's best for you. And it's even harder to stick to a new diet when you feel like you're going at it alone. That's why I love and recommend Noom. With Noom, you pick the health goals that are right for you and Noom personalizes a weight loss program to help your aspirations become reality. Noom also teaches you about eating, your cravings and how to build new habits so you can ditch your misconceptions and get smart about food and the choices you make. My family and I have been using Noom to help us make better lifestyle and diet decisions so we feel our best. We love the community aspect and how convenient the program is. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. Ready to learn how to live healthier? Sign up for Noom today at noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. So this journey, I mean, you, you make it, people need to realize that even though you've summarized just the big picture, this was a long journey. I mean, you're talking about a long journey. So can you take us back to, you know, what happened and how did you get through it? Because that's what people want to know. I mean, you've overcome so much in your life. It's not just a little bit. People mustn't just think there's something little. You you had a big story. Do you mind sharing some of the details and how did it impact how you functioned and how did you get through it? And telling your story obviously was a big part of it. Yeah. So. You know, I think like a lot of people listening, probably, you know, there's a lot of people who grow up with a lot of chaos. We had a lot of addiction, mental illness in my family. My mom was a 16 year old runaway. She was not an addict. Thank God she was not an addict, but she was a 16 year old runaway who never finished high school and she worked multiple jobs. She didn't know the word. No, I mean, that's to her credit. And her grit eventually became my grit. She's tough. She is a tough woman, but she was never there. We were poor. She was Mm. never there. And she had this one flaw and that was, she thought she had to save the world and she was very codependent. And so while, mm. while that's in one way, a very caring thing and another way, when you're trying to protect a child, it's, it's also a very dangerous thing. Very. So there was, yeah. And when it came to men, she chose men like Custer chose fights. And uh. so that was, there was, it was an issue. And so because she was gone all the time, it put me in a lot of very dangerous situations, if you will. But her heart was in the good, you know, in the right place. And she, yes. I knew she loved me. And so unlike some people, I at least had that. 
Yes. So around me was chaos, right? So my uncle was a heroin addict. My other uncle was murdered because of a drug deal gone wrong. I was a latchkey kid. You know, I was molested when I was 12 by my first stepfather. And then the oh. title that you, one of the titles of the chapters that you talked about, my second stepfather, his nickname for me was Sexy Bitch. Oh, and gosh. So, yeah, while he didn't physically touch me, there was a lot of emotional baggage that went along with that relationship. Awful. And so, you know, I, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. And so it, this was just how life was for me. And I found unhealthy ways to cope with it that I didn't even know that you were coping to do. Yeah. Right. It's just like, yeah. you know what else to do. The one thing I did know is that substances for me were not an option. Mm-hmm. The image of my uncle being like my, when my, the day that my uncle was murdered, that was so traumatic in my life. And I was so terrified of my uncle who was a heroin addict that I knew substances weren't going to be the solution for me, but I had no out. And so that was sort of how the eating disorder developed. It was like, oh, this, okay. You transferred to another society. Yeah. And I developed this need to control my environment because mm-hmm. it was so out of control. And so that was when I sort of developed that, you know, it's like these coping mechanisms, they were very unhealthy, but I needed some way to, to try to manage all the chaos in my life. So there was a series of stressors that stacked in my teens and it just finally ended up exploded bursting. Right. And it sort of ended with a date rape. And that was like, right after that was when I, and and you know, it's interesting to a lot of people who are listening right now, that wasn't a word I used either. I didn't, I didn't use that expression Mm -hmm. date rape because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to call it. I thought it was my fault. So it took me many years to unpack that. It's like, what was that that happened? I was out with him. Was I dressed wrong? Did I ask for it somehow? Wow. You know, when you make the choice to go out with someone, it makes it more complicated. And to a kid, I, I didn't really know. I didn't understand clear boundaries at that time. And so I sort of had, oh, you know, felt like my voice was taken away when I was 12 and was molested. And so yeah. things become murky. Oh, and it's so, awful. So I just wanted to, you know, really touch on that for people who might be listening. It's not your fault. And you should get some help and understand and learn boundaries because just because you go out with someone doesn't mean they have the right to do that to you. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is, you know, one in four women, as you know, are sexually abused and one in six boys. And that's what we know that's reported. So we don't know how much is unreported. And in the 99% of cases, it's exactly like you said, the sexually abused female victim and very often the male will, the males as well, will feel that it's their fault. Like, what did they do wrong? And there's that questioning. And, you know, like you said, you didn't even have a word for it. And you questioned that you were maybe stimulating that meanwhile that was that person's choice they took your rights away and so your message of it's not your fault is incredibly important to bring across to people because sexual abuse and such multiple stages that you went through it's very insidious and it's very pervasive and it's very long term so that's you know you had it for over a period of time and now as I mean you look so beautiful and together and everything looks like you've got your life perfect but I'm sure there's been a massive amount of work to get you to this point that you can smile and talk about this you know and I think that's a really good point that you're making when the book opens with me speaking to a group of recovering addicts at one of the largest rehabilitation centers and I I have a lot of anger and I didn't even realize how judgmental I was until that moment because of my past with addiction and, and substances and how much of it is in my family, how out of control my environment was because of it. And so I had a lot of work to do with that. But I remember one of the women in the, in the audience raising her hand and she was scoffing at me. And she said, 
She said, what would you know about my life? What are you going to teach me? Look at you. Your life is perfect. And you know, it really, not only did I end up doing a lot of work on myself, but in that Mm -hmm. moment, it taught me something. I thought, well, number one, she's seeing exactly, why am I mad at her? She's seeing exactly what I wanted her to see, which is a facade of -hmm. perfection, right? So number one, I have a right to be mad at her because that was what I built was this wall. That was your protection, wasn't it? It was your protection. Right. If I'm perfect, they can't hurt me. If they don't know, they can't hurt me. So that's number one. But number two, it really told me something. When I see other people that I think are perfect, when we look at Instagram or we look at anywhere, it's like, it's never perfect. So you don't know what struggles that person is going through. Just because someone's life looks perfect. I did a video, I did an Instagram live recently. I posted a video about when in the same month I learned that I had been accepted. I had tested and was accepted to do a Playboy centerfold. And I write about this in my book. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in the one of the, yeah, one of the chapters. Yeah. And at the same month, actually within two weeks, I found out I had cancer. And so Playboy Centerfold cancer, and it was within the same month and my whole world came crashing down. My mom wow. also had brain surgery the same time I was going through radiation treatment. Oh my gosh. So I had learned to like, I didn't like all the attention that I got when I was young but I started to crave it because I needed the validation. So even though Uh, I didn't like it and I was uncomfortable with it, I started to need it. And so I ended up going down that road and there's this like fight within yourself. It's like men are jerks. They're pigs because this is how they treat me. And yet I need that validation. And so there's this war conflict Mm. conflict. And so I was just primed for a code red identity crisis. Yeah. And so when I lost that opportunity to do Playboy, it really did a number with me because I lost the one thing that I thought I was valued for, which was my appearance. At mm-hmm. the same time, I'm going through cancer and I've got hormonal wow. issues and I filed for bankruptcy, dropped out of school. My mother had brain surgery and my world just came crashing oh down. My At that gosh. Point, I literally just kept praying I could die. I just wanted to die. There was no oh. point to me being on the planet. So but when I posted unreal. that, Yeah. When I posted that video just recently, I started getting messages from, I mean, stunning, beautiful influencers with these huge followings. And I'm like, why are they on my page? They were sending me messages about how much that video touched them because they were struggling with some of the same issues. Wow. And I'm like, see, nobody knows. Because people are hiding it because people are putting up that facade. Right. We've built this, we've built an, an Instagram perfect, you know, universe right and then we think gosh that's just so true and to the authenticity to be able to actually open up and offer that authenticity is what really broke through to so many people and helped so many people so where was your turning point because you you you, multiple sexual abuse this you mentioned eating disorder you mentioned substance you said you didn't go to substances but you mentioned something about substance abuse so you've done there's been a lot of stuff and over many years so when did the things start changing or what changed? Where, where, what were the, some key elements that helped you to start getting to the point where you're at today, where you can speak about this and help other people now? Well, it got a little crazy before I got better. So I hit rock bottom and then I hit my sub basement and then my, you know. <laughs> can you go even lower? Yeah, it just kept getting worse until I, until I like I said, I wanted, I just to die. You wanted to, to die. die. And then I was put on the wrong medication for my brain. And I write about that in my book as well. This idea that you go to a doctor and they just willy-nilly put you on a medication, it really bothers me. And it's it's actually why I almost canceled my first date with my husband when I met him. When I found out my husband was a psychiatrist, I almost canceled my first date with him because my brain 
said, all psychiatrists are quacks. Yeah. That's not true. No, it's not true. But I felt that way because my life was almost ruined by one. Oh And I had been put on the wrong medication and I, my behavior came, I went from being a super anxious person. Like my, my eating disorder was developed because of my anxiety and control things to a dangerously impulsive person on the wrong medication. Wow. And it was an antidepressant and my behavior became pretty crazy. So the trauma in my youth was obviously not of my own doing and I had no control over it. Mm-hmm. The trauma in my 20s was mostly because of a lot of bad decisions. So mm-hmm. I had to sort of unpack that and unwind that and acknowledge to myself, it's like, okay, yes, it was because of the, the medication didn't help, but now I need to, to take ownership. I need to take responsibility. My favorite word on the planet is responsibility. The ability to respond. It doesn't mean that yeah. I have to blame. It means I had to take responsibility. What are you going to do about it? That's what you're saying. It's like, as soon as people hear the word responsibility, they think, okay, now you're putting the blame on them. But as you said, it's what response are you going to have? It's not that you have to take the blame. That you, you didn't ask for the life you had. You did not ask for the past. I didn't past. ask for cancer. But I exactly. take responsibility for what I'm what going to do about what you're going to do. See, that's beautiful. You didn't ask for it, but what can you do next? I love that. That's very hopeful. Yeah. And so that was, that was the turning point for me. And then. So that was key. Tennis, sorry to interrupt you because that's so key. What you've hit is like, that's why I keep saying, listen to the story. There's a massive story here. There's a years of sexual abuse. There's years of chaotic trauma, not a stable childhood. There's all the adverse childhood experiences you could actually identify. You've experienced all of those and you learned certain coping strategies that worked to a point, but didn't serve you in later years. And then the, the eating disorders came along and then eventually got to the point where you're rock bottom and you just wanted to die. It was just all too much. You just wanted to die. You then went into the psychiatric route. They gave you wrong medications and they made you worse. You know, so it's not, this hasn't been easy, but you, you, the key element that started the process of change, I'm just summarizing back to you, tell me if I'm right or wrong, was that you recognized that you needed to take responsibility in terms of you were going to decide how you were going to respond to your past and how it would play out into your future. So that was a key turning point for you. Have I summarized that correctly? And if and some people have a hard time with the word responsibility, I love it because it means re, you know the ability to respond. But if you don't like that word, then think ownership. If I can okay. take I own it, that means I control it, right? So Love it. either way. But again, we said earlier, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's what happened. I had a I had a series of mentors that suddenly began to arrive and I I just I took full advantage of it. It was just I had these light switch moments and I began to get my life together, finally was able to make it through school after I dropped out several times because of my health, got through school, everything began to go really well. But I want to point something out. If things start going really well for you, don't lose hope when they don't just go in a straight line. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes progress doesn't happen in a straight line. It certainly didn't for me. It's a jagged, sometimes climb, right? And that's okay. If it's a jagged climb, as long as you're not always going straight back down to the bottom, and even if you are, as long as you keep getting back up and climbing back up, that's the thing. Usually we drop and then we go back up and then we drop a little, but not all the way back down and we go back up. It's, it's, it's progress, right? And yeah those downtimes that we learn the most. It's not when things are great that we learn the most. It's when we struggle that we learn the most. Yeah. Willing to stop and look at it. And so that's what I began to learn because I still struggled. I went through a really awful divorce. It was really painful, really was not going to get involved with anybody ever again. And then of course, along comes Daniel. And so that was sort of fascinating. And so it took me a long time to learn to trust someone again. Mm. And I was not going to, it's like, if I couldn't trust my judgment the first time, 
I'm not going to do this again. Yeah. I'm not, why would I trust someone else if I can't trust my own judgment? Mm. So I had no intention of getting married, but he was, he was funny. He just, he's just very different. The Daniel that you know, when you interview him, the Daniel that you know, when you see him, you know, whenever he's presenting, that's really him, except he's actually mellower and nicer at home. He's but consistent. I didn't trust mm. He's consistent. And I, but I didn't trust it because my, my radar wasn't set for that. And so I kept waiting for the other shoe to fall. I kept mm. I thinking he was manipulating me. Like nobody's this nice. Well, that's what you'd experienced your whole life. So the only pattern you knew was that men were not trustworthy and they would manipulate you and they would let you down. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so I kept pushing him away. And, you know, for some reason he didn't go away. <laughs> he just wouldn't go. Not like he stalked me, but he wouldn't go away. And, and I should probably clarify, I was not a patient clinics. I was never a patient. We were dating. He does like to tell people I was a project, but. (laughs) Well, you could say he was one. So there you go. Works both ways. Works both ways. But no, he was amazing. And he, at one point I'm like, I'm just, I'm doing you a favor. I'm too broken. I'm just, I'm not, I can't do this. And he still wouldn't go away. And he's like, well, at least I still want to be your friend. I think you're amazing. And it was in that time that he he literally became my best friend that I actually really fell in love with him because I really saw him for who he was and he wasn't, he wasn't after anything. He was just, he was just so kind. And that's when I really started to trust probably, he was probably the first man I ever trusted. Wow. That's incredible. This year, I am making a new year's resolution to stay away from uncomfortable and expensive bras. And that's why I'm so happy I found third love. Third Love is all about revolutions, not resolutions this year. 2021 is your time to shine. Focus on what makes you happy, starting with better bras and underwear. I took Third Love's quick and easy fit finder quiz online and was given some recommendations. I was skeptical at first. I did not believe the perfect fit was possible. But Third Love delivered 100 times over. This is by far my most comfortable bra. They stand behind their products. If you don't love it, exchanges and returns are free. And Third Love donates all of their gently used return bras to women in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. So far, Third Love has donated over $40 million in bras. Third Love knows is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash drleaf now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash drleaf for 20% off today. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. What you said there is, you said so much beautiful stuff, but you said the word kind. You know, there's one philosopher, and I forget his name, and he said, if any, if the most, there's three important things in life, and that's be kind, be kind, be kind. And, you know, that's just, it's, it's, it's so true. And, and I agree with you, Daniel. is just, if I had to describe him, that's one of the first words I always use. He's just so kind. And that kindness, though, look how it healed you. And as you may not all have a Daniel in your life, but there's someone who's kind, and, and my earphones are falling out. It's, it's just to, we can be kind to each other. It's that kindness is so healing. I mean, there's such amazing healing stuff in the brain as well. So that was a very key factor in your ability to learn to trust yourself to make decisions because you didn't have confidence in your own ability. But his kindness sort of started helping you see that, if I'm understanding you correctly. So that's and I want to point something out because a lot of people are going to say, yeah, but I don't have that kind of relationship. Yeah. So the thing I want to point out is that my journey began 
on my own. Number one, responsibility starts with you. Number two, it was when I pushed him away and we were friends <laughs> that this started. I don't want people thinking they need someone to come rescue them. No, that's very good. And I'm glad you've emphasized that. And that's where the kindness comes in. You've got to be kind to yourself too. So kind, kind, kind applies to learning to be kind to yourself. And that support system may be from someone that you end up marrying, maybe your best friend, maybe your best, your parent or whatever. But the support system is to try to find a support system. And in fact, one thing I told him is even after I finally started to realize, okay, I'm going to get help. I'm, I'm going to like heal some of the stuff from the past. And I did, but it took me two years of like, I went through EMDR and I went and I mean, I became like, he started laughing. He's like, you just, you went from like not believing in any of this stuff to like, now you're a seeker. And I did, I just, I went on this, like everything that way. Yeah. I'm I'm like all or nothing. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really do this. But I told him, I'm like, I'm not going to marry you until I know I'm a good partner. Like, I'm just, it's not my style. So good. I don't want to be rescued. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not me. It also doesn't make for a good relationship. And you you raise a very good point in terms of relationships. If you're going into expecting the other person to fix you, you're going to have a problem in your relationship. But if you're going, trying to, with the attitude of, I'm going to get myself right, not totally 100%, but you're not expecting the other person. You're going in giving 100%, expecting to work on yourself. That's when the, and so that's just a little aside, a little extra thing that we talk about, that, that we've thrown into this podcast in terms of relationships, is that make sure that you're not trying to let the other person fix you because you'll never have a decent relationship if you go in with that point of view. And you made another point earlier on that I just want these certain things you're saying that are just pearls of wisdom. Tana, so as I hear them, I just want to let the listeners focus on them. So that was one great piece of advice for relationships. You also said is that in the struggle, you learned the most. I love that. In the struggle, you learned the most. I just wanted to emphasize that because that you, you the struggle you went through, that's when you were learning. And then you chose to go and become the student and find everything you could do to, to change how you saw yourself. Yeah, and like I said, I am a seeker, but I'm I'm one of those people who likes to sort of like dig into like what happened there and like think I'm an ICU nurse, so I'm you know like to analyze things. Yeah, but it, that is really true. So it's in those down times. So if anyone like I know right now we're in unprecedented times. Yeah, we're in some of the hardest times that people have been through on so many levels, and I mean we're certainly seeing it in our clinics. I know that you are seeing it all. Yeah, and I'm. I'm so grateful to people like you, to people like my husband that are just putting themselves out there to really try to be there for people right now. But here's the thing. If anyone would have told me at, at that time, it wasn't even the bad times or like the bad times that led me to where I'm at now. It was the worst time that led me to where I'm at now. Ah, the the worst. worst time. If anyone had been able to tell me that in those moments when I could not get out of bed, I literally could not get out of bed. And it just, th- there was this pain that you can't describe. Like you just need to rip your skin off mm. and you can't get away from it. It's not like any other pain you've ever experienced. Depression wow. is just wicked. Wow. If anyone would have told me that in that wanting to die, that that would become my purpose, that that pain would become my purpose that that would be the actual biggest joy in my life. I wouldn't have believed, I would have thought they were high. Like that's just, you're insane, but it's so true. Mm. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever horrible thing you are going through right now, there's probably a purpose for it in that, yes, it's, it's a pain for you that maybe someone's medicine, someone's savior tomorrow. Like I just, I can't, it can transform. It will transform into something. You will get through it. You'll get to the other side. And that story is going to be a transformation for someone else. I think it'll, it'll pay forward. 
Right. And when you find purpose in it, there's a joy attached to it that Mm. you cannot, that's indescribable. That's incredible. So that all that pain, it's like that Kintsugi principle the Japanese have, the shattered pieces that I always use that that example, but that's exactly what it is. And for those of you that haven't heard me teach on a glass vase or something shatters, the Japanese don't just sweep the pieces away. They meticulously pick up everything and rebuild it with gold lacquer. And that's your story. It's rebuilding your shattered pieces of your life. And that gold lacquer becomes something beautiful that's transformed, that's reconceptualized, and someone else can now benefit from that i have a kintsugi my so my relationship with my father was not good and that's another story in in the book is he abandoned me when i was little and then he became a baptist minister who was not really well his behavior was questionable let's put it wow then went on drugs with my sister and you know all kinds of things so it was it was tricky my relationship with him was tricky and not very good but in the end we were we had this very healing moment and so it was it was transformation in the end. And he died in my arms to be praying for him. Oh my like, gosh. Ashes in a Kintsugi urn. Oh my gosh. I end my book with a story about Kintsugi. Okay. We can't see it. Do you actually have it up there? I actually do. I don't know if you can see it actually. Uh, you probably can't see it very much. No, right? Okay. Yeah. You can't see it. It's just stunning because I love that idea that, you know, that we are not more beautiful in spite of our breaks and our cracks and our imperfections. We are more beautiful because of them. Because of them, not in spite, but because of them. But it's so hard in the moment because I know there's so many people that are listening to this and so many people that, you know, you as an ICU nurse and in the Amen clinics and my, my stuff with my work and just our family, friends, when they're in the midst of that pain or when, when any of us are in the midst of that terrible stuff happening around you, it's difficult to see the light. And it's so what do you hang on to in that moment? You know, when you wanted to die, when you couldn't get out of bed and you, 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 your skin was painful, like you describe it like that. And, and it was just, you were in shattered, shattered. How did you start meticulously building? And it was that responsibility. Was that the key? Were there some other elements that when you were actual, because you had obviously periods of low and it went lower and lower and lower. I know someone's saying, but I'm there. I'm where you were. What would you say to them? So I really did try to go get help. The help sort of backfired on me. I mean, I would say try to go get help. So I don't think you need to do it alone. I really do think there's good help out there. I I did try to get help. The help backfired in the sense that the medication I was put on made me a little crazy. Yeah, you said that. But the first step as far as personal responsibility, yes. I think taking personal responsibility, taking inventory, understanding that I had more power than I thought I did. And, and, and it's complicated. So at Amon Clinics, we actually teach according to four circles, biological, what's going on with your biology. Yeah. And in my case, I was, I was going through treatments for cancer. Wow. Thyroid, I didn't have any thyroid in my system. I was going through radiation treatments. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with my biology. Then there's the psychology. My thoughts were, my thoughts were a mess. My mind was not disciplined at all. Yeah. Right. There's the psychology. There's the social circle. The people I was hanging out with were not elevating me. Mm. people are contagious and then there is the spiritual circle and i was completely spiritually bankrupt and for those of you who are you know for some of you the spiritual equates to religion for others it's just meaning and purpose yeah and in either case my life was bankrupt right Mm -hmm. i didn't have meaning and purpose and i didn't have any kind of a spiritual relationship whatsoever but i think of those four circles the bio psycho social spiritual i think Mm -hmm. of them like tires on a car if one goes flat, the car will drive, but not very well. Yeah. If one goes flat, the car is going to probably flip. It's going to crash for sure. My car flipped. So it's all four of those circles were, were flat in, in my case. So we would, 
assess you in all four circles. So that's why I would say go get help. Go get help by someone really qualified. Yeah. Going to look at every part of you, not just medicate you, not just more pills. Exactly. Right? You need skills. Mm. You need to understand what's going on with your biology, your psychology, your social circle. Your- and it takes time. It's not going to be a quick fix, 15 minutes prescription. It's going to be a, a lot of time and work. And you're going, to, you're going to have to, as a person, put in the work. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just wanted to stress there. There's, there's no quick fix mentality. This is a looking at those four circles is, is work. Right. And it's worth it. But then also finding those mentors. Like I, I started seeking out mentors. So learning their responsibility, taking responsibility, taking that inventory. And then for me, honestly, my spiritual walk had been so tarnished by my dad. I had to do the work oh on understanding that my dad's not God. Okay. So I had to really mm. unpack that, that box and understand that it's, I wanted to have my own spiritual walk. I wanted purpose in my life. And I had to disconnect all of that baggage that I had with my dad. It took forgiving my dad, but also understanding that I was putting a whole lot of responsibility on my dad to be perfect Mm. for me to have a good spiritual walk, which made no sense. So I had to disconnect that and go, he's just human. He's Mm -hmm. not God. So my spiritual walk is dependent on me to have a good spiritual walk, whatever that means to me. And for me, that's, you know, that's my religion, but it's whatever that means for you. It's, it's don't make it dependent on another person. That's really good. People people are human. They're flawed. Exactly. They're always going to disappoint you. Yeah, that's so true. So be careful of doing that. So make sure that you find your, accept that about people, but make sure that you're addressing what you need to do to find meaning. So vitally important. Well, that's incredible advice. Well, this is a book that I strongly recommend everyone gets, The Relentless Courage of a Scared Child. It's just beautiful. And you can hear it's filled with wisdom. And I mean, Tana's not just telling you her story. She's a ICU nurse. She's a pres- vice president of Amen Clinics. And there's one opening in Dallas. There's six, seven, eight, nine around the world now. Eight clinics, soon to be nine. We're opening in Miami, too. Or right around somewhere near Miami. Oh, that's incredible. And it's really, I've seen Daniel in action and I've known him I've known him for years and the work is amazing. And I just think it's wonderful that you two, that you can bring your story and your experience into the clinic as well. And you can be part of the whole thing together and bring your expertise in as well, which is amazing because your story is so valuable and so powerful. And I want to thank you for what you're doing and how you so relentlessly and courageously are trying to help people with what you're doing. And I'm so glad to have met you and connected with you and, and just thrilled at what you're doing and thank you it's incredible well how can people find out more about you and how can they get the book the book is at relentlesscourage.com or anywhere books are sold it's on amazon it's everywhere if they pre-order it there are gifts attached to it so relentlesscourage.com you can follow me at tana amen i'm on instagram and or tanaamen.com wonderful and then they can also go to amen clinics if they want to find out more and we'll put all those links in the show notes as well which has been well tana thank you so much for your time it's been beautiful wonderful i love talking to you i could spend hours talking to you it's been so lovely and i'm excited to do this again sometime so thank you so much have a wonderful day you too thank you i hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. 
I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.